If you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 1. Joshua chapter 9 and verse 1. If you have it, would you say amen? Amen. The scripture says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and all the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they went, they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work wily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles and old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua under the camp of Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country, now therefore make ye a league with us. Skipping down to verse 14, the scripture says, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them. And made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. I want to preach for a few moments this, e this morning on this subject. The tragedy of an empty altar. The tragedy of an empty altar. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? We love you. We thank you for your anointing and the power of your presence that's in this house. Uh, and now we come, Lord, to the very most important part of this service. Uh, we're asking the next few moments, Lord, you allow the word of God uh, to speak into our hearts and our lives. Uh, touch us. Uh, change us, Lord. Uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. The book of Joshua contains a story of the conquest of the promised land. And our, our text takes place during the unfolding of that story. And, and at the place where we are, the people of God have already witnessed God's power in the crossing of the River Jordan. They've, they've walked across that river on dry ground. Amen. Uh, they've encountered the great walled city of Jericho. And the angel of the Lord has stood beside Joshua and told him not to fear. I'm going to go before you. We're going to fight your battle for you. All you've got to do is go and march around those walls. It doesn't make sense. You can't reason it out. Amen. I'm going to tell you what. God's not always going to make sense to you. You just got to trust him. He said go and walk. Amen. Don't even say anything. Just walk. And when you've done it once do it again and again and again. And on the seventh day I want you to do it seven times. I just want you to walk around those old walls. And when you make that last time around, I want you to lift your voice in a mighty cry unto the Lord. Worship him. Let Jericho hear the shout of a king in the presence of the people of God. And when they did, 
The walls came falling down. Amen. They took that great city. And then after that, the tragedy of Ai occurred where they became a little overconfident. And because of the sin of Achan in the camp, they suffered a terrible setback. And, and they had to repent. Uh, they had to come before the Lord and they had to, they had to purge the sin from the camp. Uh, and now they've gone back and they have conquered Ai and they've won that battle and they've been victorious. And that's where we are in the story. Amen. The church is victorious. The church is on the march. Uh, they're claiming territory. Uh, they're walking in the blessing and the provision of hell uh, and uh, of heaven. I'm sorry. I want to say there's nothing hell hates worse uh, than a victorious church. Uh, there's nothing hell hates worse uh, than a church that's overcoming. Uh, there's nothing hell hates worse uh, than a people of God uh, who've got the mind made up. Uh, it doesn't matter what I see. Uh, it doesn't matter what I hear. Uh, it doesn't matter what I understand. Uh, I'm going to have victory in the Lord. Uh, let the wind blow. Uh, I'm going to have victory in the Lord. Uh, let the waves come. Uh, I'm going to have victory in the Lord. Let the negative report come. It's okay. I got my faith in Jesus. I've got my faith in him and I believe that he's going to take care of me. Hell hates that kind of church. Hell hates that kind of attitude. Amen. Hell hates a victorious, overcoming, triumphant, Holy Ghost-filled, anointed, apostolic church. Amen. I'm going to tell you, hell doesn't mind for you to come to church. Hell doesn't mind for you to sit on a pew. Hell doesn't mind for you to hear the singing and hear the preaching. Amen. That doesn't bother hell at all. What bothers the devil is when you start to let the Holy Ghost move in your life. When you start to let the anointing of God be turned loose uh, and break the chains of bondage uh, and break the chains of tradition uh, and break the chains that hinder you from becoming the church uh, that he's called you to be. That's when hell gets worried. As long as they were on the other side of the river Jordan, they weren't really a threat. As long as they were just uh, walking through the wilderness, they weren't really a threat. But when hell gets the message, uh, when, when Canaan gets the, the, the news report, uh, amen, Israel uh, has entered the Canaan land. Uh, they walked across the river on dry ground. Uh, amen. They marched around the walls of Jericho and they came down and we thought we had some success uh, at Ahi, but oh, all we did was stir them up. Uh, amen. And God is fighting for them. The enemy will do anything to stop that kind of church. He'll do anything he can to hinder your growth. He'll do anything he can to keep you from reaching your potential in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, if you don't have the Holy Ghost this morning, he'll do anything he can to keep you from getting the Holy Ghost because he understands uh, when that anointing and unction of the Holy Ghost comes over your life, uh, he can't control you. He can't contain you. Uh, amen. If you've got the Holy Ghost uh, and it's been a long time uh, since you just let it loose, uh, and you know, it's been a long time uh, since you let it purge you. Uh, you let it wash you. Uh, you let the water of the word of God uh, cleanse you. Uh, I'm going to tell you hell likes it just like that uh, because he can rob you of your victory. Uh, he can rob you of the overcoming power of God. Uh, he'll take you right where you never intended to go and he'll keep you there. 
But if you allow the anointing of God to begin to get stirred up, if you allow the Holy Ghost to begin to move in your life, amen, if you'll just let the presence of God begin to challenge you out of your comfort zone, when you make up your mind to follow him, he's going to be there. He's going to bless you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to go before you. You're going to be victorious in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on, he's an overcomer. And I'm an overcomer in him. I'm not an overcomer in myself. I recognize I have my own deficiencies. I recognize uh, that I am not all that much by myself. Uh, Oh, but I don't fight my battles uh, by myself. Uh, Amen. I am an overcomer in Jesus Christ. When that kind of spirit gets a hold of you and you come to that understanding, hell will always rise up against you. That's what happened when word began to spread through the Canaan land of what God was doing for his people. The enemy rose up against Israel. The text we read describes the two-pronged response, uh, and the first prong was all-out war. Amen. It came to pass uh, that when they heard uh, what was happening, uh, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite uh, and the Jebusite, uh, they all got together. Uh, Those are all different nationalities. Uh, They all have their own standing armies. Uh, Amen. They're all, maybe individually, uh, they're no bigger than Israel, uh, but they all got together. uh, And they said, you know, when we put all of our forces together, there's more more of us uh, than there is of them. Uh, And if we can march out in unity, uh, we can overcome them. Uh, And the Bible said they came together with one accord. And they came against the people of God. Sometimes the devil hits you with a full frontal attack. There's nothing subtle about it. Hell doesn't hide its hand. You know right away this is what hell is doing. This is, this is an attack of the enemy. This is an attack of hell. Huh? Amen. You know right away this is the forces and the power of hell come against me and my home and my family and my church. But the honest truth is that it is not in our nature to back down from that kind of challenge. When hell hits us with everything it has, that's when we tend to buckle down and hit back uh, because it's a righteous indignation that rises up in every Holy Ghost-filled child of God that says, ain't no devil in hell uh, gonna walk on a Jesus in me. He that is in me uh, is greater than he that is against me. Uh, and when you can recognize it uh, and you know that's what it is, uh, amen, that's when you dust off the altar uh, and that's when you get down on your face uh, and that's when you begin to cry out to Jesus. We respond well to the blatant attack of the enemy. That's when we get on the phone and start calling folks and saying, can you, can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? Amen. I, I'm not, I may not be able to carry myself through this. I, I need my church. I, I need the family of God. I, I need a prayer warrior. I, I need an intercessor. That's when we start coming to prayer meeting. Amen. That's when we start building an altar in our home. That's when we start making our petition known. That's when we get stirred up. It doesn't matter how many armies hell gets together. It doesn't matter how many nationalities the enemy rallies. The nation of Israel was destined for success.
because God had made a promise. God was fighting for them. It was never a fair fight, honey. It didn't matter how many archers they got. It didn't matter how many slingers they got. It didn't matter how many footmen they gathered together. It didn't matter how big their war chariots were. Uh, It didn't matter how massive their army was. It didn't matter how skilled their generals were. Uh, Amen. God was always going to fight for his people. And they were always going to triumph over the enemy. I'm here to tell you the onslaught of hell is always destined to fail. This church was built to withstand it. Uh, Amen. We'll go through some valleys. Uh, We're going to walk through some low places. Uh, We're going to go through some struggles and trials. Uh, But I'm going to tell you something. You better stay with the church uh, because when it's all said and done, uh, his church is going to be victorious. Uh, When it's all said and done, uh, this is an overcoming church. Uh, And when you call on heaven, uh, when you turn to the Lord, uh, amen, sometimes uh, it's going to be like AI uh, and you got to go back to your altar uh, and you got to repent and you got to turn your heart back to God uh, and then he puts you back on the right path uh, but when you turn to him uh, he's always going to be there second chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 said if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land God has promised you victory if you pray amen He's promised you that if you'll seek his face, if you'll turn from the wickedness, if you turn away from things that may have the clutter and distractions of your life that may have gotten in between you and God, the things that may have hindered your prayer life, uh, if you get back to your altar, uh, he's promised uh, he'll hear from heaven uh, and victory is coming. uh, And Satan knows that. That isn't going to stop him from loosing the full-on attack of hell. But he knows when he does that he's playing a dangerous game. Because if he provokes you to your altar, he knows he doesn't have a chance. Now, if he can attack you and keep you complacent, uh, if he can attack you and keep you comfortable, if he can attack you uh, and keep you from going to your altar, he has a chance to overcome you. He's gambling that you'll keep your guard down long enough for him to strike the fatal blow. He's gambling you'll leave your altar empty long enough for him to strike the blow that'll bring you down. And he knows the odds are that whenever he attacks you, you you may give a little, you may struggle a little. Sometimes it takes us a little while to recognize uh, what's going on, uh, but the Holy Ghost inside of us uh, begins to stir us up. Uh, The Holy Ghost inside of us uh, begins to challenge us, uh, and it's just the nature of a child of God uh, to go back to the altar uh, and pour their heart out again uh, and renew the covenant with God uh, and refresh themselves in the Holy Ghost and see the victory of God. But Satan has a backup plan just in case the full-on attack of hell doesn't work. He has another attack. The 
people of Gibeon, of all the people of Canaan, they and the and if you read the history of them and you start reading about them, they're they're a mighty warring nation. They have a great army. But they elected to use deception rather than outright opposition. Now make no mistake about it, their purpose was the same. They were trying to accomplish the same thing that those armies were trying to accomplish. All they wanted to do was preserve their claim on the promised land. All they wanted to do was stop Israel from claiming everything that God had promised to them. Amen? Honey, don't let the devil have any of your promise. I said, don't give the devil an inch of your promise. You need to remember what God spoke to you, and you need to make up your mind. I'm not letting the devil have any of that. Amen. I'm not letting the devil get lay claim to any of that. All he wants, because he knows if he can just get a foothold in your promised land. Amen. If he can just get a foothold in the calling of God for your life. Amen. If he can just get a little wedge in there. Amen. From there, he can work to tear it down. From there, he can work to bring it all to naught. And so the second attack was much more subtle. The King James said they were wily. Uh, you know, maybe I don't know if they were coyotes or not, but they were wily. They 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 were subtle. They were deceptive. And so the men of Gibeon posed as travelers. They, they loaded their donkeys with patched sacks, with mended wineskins, with threadbare sandals on their feet, with tattered clothes on their body, nothing but dry crust and crumbs uh, for the food. Uh, they created the illusion uh, that they traveled from a great distance. Uh, and the whole point was to make Israel believe that they were not a part of the people that Israel was supposed to conquer. It's deception. It, it's, 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 it's just a, it's a hiding the, 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 the purpose behind something that appears to be what it is not. They wanted to appear as if they journeyed from a far-off land. They wanted to appear as if they were just a weak people who only sought an alliance, a covenant with Israel that would be mutually beneficial, a peace treaty, if you will. After all, Israel is fighting the armies of the promised land at every turn, every nationality has come together and they are facing the onslaught of hell. But here come these folks uh, who throw themselves at the mercy of Israel and they only want peace. They don't want war. They just want a covenant. Uh, they just want to make peace. Uh, and best of all, they appear to be from a distant land. Uh, so Israel has no reason to want to conquer them. Sometimes the enemy's attack in your life is a whole lot more subtle than that full-on frontal attack. Sometimes instead of confronting you with the onslaught of hell, he tries to sneak in the back door. Amen. Sometimes uh, he comes at you with deception. That kind of attack is much harder 
to recognize. But listen to this preacher today. It's no less detrimental to your walk with God. It's no less detrimental to the will of God for your life. The end result is the same. Israel does not fully occupy its promise. Uh, The Canaanite remains uh, in the land. Uh, That's the end result. Uh, God intended uh, for Israel to possess uh, all of the promise. Uh, God intended uh, for Israel to drive out all of the inhabitants of the land. I didn't read it, uh, but if you go back, Joshua's already told them there's blessing and curse in this. Uh, Amen. If you drive them out, uh, the Lord's going to bless you. Uh, If you leave there. Uh, amen. It's going to curse you. Uh, amen. They're going to lead you astray. Uh, they're going to lead you out of the presence and will of God. Uh, amen. This is a vital thing. Uh, you've got to conquer every person in the land. But the enemy snuck in unaware and presented them with what seemed to be a profitable opportunity to make an alliance with an oppressed people from a faraway land. The devil's only goal is to keep you from realizing your promise. The devil's only goal is to keep you from reaching the potential of the call of God in your life. Uh, His only goal uh, is to keep you from getting a hold uh, of what God has for you. That's what he's trying to do. Sometimes his plan is devious. Sometimes he puts what appears to be a good opportunity in your path. It looks pretty good. It seems pretty beneficial. It seems to be a good thing to me. I mean, Joshua's looking at these people who have traveled at piers from a long, long distance. They don't appear to be a threat. Honey, they didn't come in their shiny armor. They didn't come with their swords uh, and their chariots. Uh, They came with donkeys laden down with with old, tattered, and torn things. Uh, Amen. They were deceptive about it. Uh, And it looked pretty good to Joshua. But the truth is, it's dangerous. Even a deadly compromise Even a a small compromise with the enemy is deadly to the people of God. Even even a little bit of giving is deadly to the promise of God. And so these these enemy has come in and they they've got it all planned out. They've they've thought it through and they they have brought they've gone through their city and they they're not they haven't traveled very far at all. Brother Tim, but they went through the city and they found the driest, moldiest bread. You know, I, I don't know whose house it was in. Somebody wasn't, hadn't thrown it out yet. The driest, moldiest bread that they could, and that's what they put in their sacks. And they, they got the sacks that were old and had holes in them. They, they went out and they found the oldest, dracked, dried, cracked wineskins. Uh, those wineskins that were already starting to leak wine, uh, and they mended them uh, to make them appear even older. Uh, they went out to the garbage heap, uh, and they found old, worn-out sandals uh, and old, torn, and filthy, and tattered garments. 
garments, uh, and they put all those things on. Uh, they got the poorest-looking donkeys. Uh, they could find the ones from the farmer who didn't have very good feet. Uh, you could see the rib cages. Uh, amen. They laden them down with all of these trinkets, uh, all of these things that are a part of their deception. And they presented a convincing argument that this was a good deal. Never mind that it was all a sham. They sold it really well. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to deception, your enemy can spin a pretty good yarn. When it comes to deception, amen, your enemy will create the appearance that the very thing that will kill you will actually benefit you. When it comes to deception, uh, your enemy can dress, dress up uh, in the familiar clothes of a friend. Uh, he can make it all look attractive. Uh, he can make it all seem to be beneficial. Uh, and he comes at you with what seems to be a blessing. What seems to be the answer to your dilemma. What seems to be relief from the weariness of war. When really... It's a wolf wrapped in sheep's clothing, an enemy pretending to be a friend. I want you to listen to your pastor today. If you don't hear anything else, I'm going to say here what I'm about to say. You are not equipped to sort out the deception of hell. You are not equipped to reason it out for yourself. You do not have that capacity. I'm sorry, friend. I, I'm not doubting your discernment. I'm not doubting your ability. Uh, but I'm telling you, you, you're up against an enemy that's been playing this game for a long, long time. Uh, and he's good at deception. Uh, you're up against an enemy. Uh, he's been taking people out of the promise of God and out of the will of God and out of the plan of God all for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, and he's good uh, at what he does. He's an expert at causing folks to miss out on the promise of God. He's an expert uh, at introducing the innocent compromise uh, that ultimately undoes God's perfect will for your life. And you need to hear this preacher today. We think we're good at detecting the attack of the enemy because we're used to that full frontal assault. We think we're good uh, at recognizing the hand of hell uh, because we're used to that not-so-hidden attempt uh, to destroy us. Uh, but I'm here to tell you you're fighting an enemy uh, that's a conniving devil uh, and the whole time uh, that he's attacking you uh, with that obvious attack, uh, he's trying to sneak in the side door with deception. That's Satan's backup plan. If he can't get you to fall into outright compromise, he'll always meet you halfway. Just get you to give a little. Just get you to surrender a little bit of your promise. Just get you to give up on a little bit of what God has called you to be because he knows if he can get a little bit. Somebody said, give the devil an inch. He'll take a mile, my friend. I, I, that is such an understatement. You give him a little bitty place in your life, uh, and he'll tear you apart from the inside out. You won't ever know what hits you. Amen? That's his backup plan. He'll trick you into doing what seems to be right to you. He'll present you something 
that appears to be good. Listen, your reasoning, you, you can look at it. And you know, this seems to be the right thing. This seems to be beneficial. This seems to meet all of my needs. This seems to accomplish exactly what I want and what I need. Uh, amen. And he'll, he'll bring it to you uh, and he'll present it to you in such a way uh, that, that it'll seem to be the perfect opportunity. Uh, it'll seem like it's the right thing to do, but it's actually a step in the wrong direction for your life. Verse 14 says, and the men took of their victuals. They ate of that dry, moldy bread. And they asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. That, my friend, is one of the most disappointing scriptures in the entire Bible. They've just come to the promised land. They've just started claiming their territory. They have just started the conquest. Listen, God didn't just dream this up overnight. He told Abraham over 400 years ago. They've just stepped into this thing that God has birthed for them. And they have the assurance and the promise that God's going to fight their battles for them. But Joshua and all of his mighty men of valor, those warring Israelites who set out on a conquest to conquer the promised land, they sampled the evidence and they made their decision based on what their eyes could see, what their senses could detect, what they could taste, and what they could tell was tangible and real. And they never stopped to consult the Lord. They never visited their altar. They never asked for counsel from God. They didn't get here on their own. Honey, you didn't bring yourself out of a miry clay. You didn't lift yourself out of the sin and drudgery of this world. You didn't break the chains of bondage that were a hold of you. They didn't get here by themselves. But they decided now they can start making decisions on their own. They decided now they've learned enough. Now they've come far enough that they can just do it. They just know what's right. It just seems good to them. So they'll enter into a covenant with the enemy. That verse speaks volumes to us. Because it exists in the Bible for the sole reason of telling us why they fail for the deception of the enemy. Because they did not pray. They did not seek the face of God. They made their choice. They set the course for their life. They made a decision that would impact their future and their children's future. And they never sought the counsel of God. And I'm going to tell you something, honey. Their kids are going to fight those devils for the rest of their lives. Amen. For the rest of the generations of the Israelites, they're going to fight those Gibbonites because they made a compromise they never should have made. Because they failed 
to seek the counsel of God. How arrogant can we be to think we can live our lives based on our own rationality? To think we can live our lives based on what we think is good and not consult the Lord. God brought us this far. We got here by His grace. Uh, you're not blessed because you're good at what you do. You're blessed because God blessed you. You're blessed because God put His hand on you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I feel the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost moving in this house uh, on a Sunday morning. I know what God wants to do. I, I feel His power. I, I feel His anointing. Uh, but I want to confront something in the Spirit. Uh, amen. I want to confront something uh, in the Holy Ghost right now uh, because it's painfully easy for us to come to the critical decisions uh, in our life uh, and because of our past success uh, and because we think we've got it figured out and because we've, we've learned how how to be religious uh, and we've learned how to do church uh, and we've learned what makes sense to us uh, because everything seems to be going well we make decisions that will have lasting ramifications for us and for our families without ever consulting the Lord The formula for spiritual success has never been you lead and God will follow. That's never been it. The formula has always been God leads and you follow. I won't go where he doesn't lead me. I won't walk where he doesn't go before me. Because that's where my blessing is. That's where my provision is. It is incumbent upon you and I to seek the guidance of heaven. Even when the decision seems insignificant. War on every front. Battles all around. Enemies that have arisen and have confronted. And the Gibeonites seem to be a low priority. They're just a, a people who've traveled from a long distance away. And all they want is a simple covenant. Let's get this business done with. And let's send them on their way. Uh, amen. Let's just go ahead uh, and let's just do this. Uh, and if we're not careful, my friend, uh, we'll make a compromise with hell. Uh, we'll make a covenant with the enemy uh, because we think we've got it figured out. We need to make up our mind. We don't go. Unless God goes before us. We don't walk. We don't claim promises. We don't walk into situations. We don't, we don't accept anything in our life. Uh, we don't make any choice. Uh, we don't make any decision. Uh, we, don't, we don't make any alliances. Uh, we don't make any compromises. Uh, we don't make any covenants uh, based on our own reasoning. Uh, we need the mind of God. We have to have an altar. Honey, your reasoning is flawed. 
The Bible says at Rome, uh, Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every way of a man. You're not a good judge of yourself. You're not a good judge of your motives. We tend to think that everything we want is what God wants. We tend to think that everything that we want is good. Every way we would choose must be the right way. And we can rationalize enough to make anything acceptable. Because we excel at putting a friendly face on a foul matter and presenting it as something that is good to ourselves. We're good at that. And hell knows that. So he dresses up the very enemy that will rob you of your promise and appeals to your human arrogance, knowing that if he can convince you that it is good without consulting heaven, then he can have his way in your life, in your family. I'm talking about generations, my friend. This decision that Joshua makes, it doesn't just impact him. Generations are going to fight those devils. Make no mistake about it. God cares about your life. And if you'll just inquire, if you'll just seek the counsel of God, if you'll just visit your altar, He will guide your steps. He will direct your ways. He will let you know. Amen. He will make His will known. I can promise you. Amen. Now, He may lead you past what seems to be a good opportunity. He may lead you past what seemed to be a good thing for your life. He may lead you past things that seemed reasonable to you. But, honey, He sees what you can't see. He understands what you don't understand. He doesn't owe you an explanation, but you owe him your trust. He brought you this far, and he's going to be the one that takes you home. But listen, if you neglect prayer, if you leave your altar empty, you can cut yourself off from the very divine guidance and providence of God, the, the provision of God for your life. What a sad story it is. They could have possessed the whole of the promised land. There was not, Brother Donnie, a single enemy that could overcome them. There was not a single obstacle they could not conquer. There wasn't a walled city that had a chance. There wasn't an army, no matter how massive it was, that had even an ounce of an opportunity to defeat them. But their own foolish self-reliance undermined their victory. And they made an unholy alliance with their enemy because they did not consult the Lord. There is no greater indictment against the lack of prayer in your life. Oh, Brother McCall, 
I pray about the important stuff. You're not hearing me. It's the stuff that doesn't seem important that undoes you. It's the stuff that seems so insignificant. It seems so small. It seems so minor. The enemy will present himself as an ally. And then he'll undermine your victory. You can't trust your flesh. You, you can't trust your own ability to reason it out. Even with the small decisions, you've got to consult heaven. You've got to talk to God. You've got to make up your mind. I'll let good things go if God's not in it. Amen. You ask Abraham, God gave him a son. It was his promise. Blessing. And then said, bring him to me and lay him on an altar. Sometimes God's going to bless you and then tell you to lay it on the altar. He's just testing you. He's not harming you. He's growing you. <laughs> He's not trying to keep you from something good. He's trying to bring you to something better. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to walk with Him. You've got to consult with Him. You've got to talk to the Lord. You can't afford to leave your altar empty. I can't tell you the vast number of folks that have fallen away from God and have ultimately lost out with God because of one misguided decision, because of one choice where they did not consult heaven, where they did not ask the will of God, where they did not seek the counsel of the Almighty. Amen. Something that seemed to them to be perfectly rational became the very thing that undid them. But if they had prayed, if they had sought the counsel of God, if they had sought the will of God, if they had turned their heart towards heaven and inquired after the Lord, amen, they would have been warned. Things would have been different. It wouldn't have made sense to them, but they'd have said no. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, made, it wouldn't have been anything easy to understand. They would have questioned it. They would have wrestled with it. But if they'd asked God, they would have said no. And honey, they'd still be here today. And they'd still be serving God today and they'd still be walking in the blessing and the provision of God but for one choice the epitaph upon their tombstone if God does not deliver them will simply read this he or she did not consult the Lord did not inquire of heaven did not ask for the guidance of God. What a sad way to lose out with God. He did what seemed right to him. She made the choice that looked right to her. But he never asked God. She never stopped his face. They never visited their altar. They did not pray. I'm wrapping up. Give me just a minute. I want to I bring one more example from Scripture. If you consider Hezekiah, Hezekiah, I'll get it right. Consider Hezekiah. 
he begged God for 15 more years for his life. And they were granted to him. And most of those years were filled with productive service. He did a lot of great things in those 15 years. But in one matter, Hezekiah failed miserably. When the envoys from the mighty Babylonian Empire showed up, Hezekiah was flattered by their attention. And he gave them a guided tour of his kingdom. And he held nothing back. And he showed them the wealth of Israel. Those envoys went home. They made a written record of the treasure of Israel. And nothing else came of it. Decades went by. It seemed to be an insignificant thing. But the impact of that one decision was dreadful. Because finally the year came when that old record was re-examined and a Babylonian king decided to invade Israel and take her treasures for himself. And the book of Chronicles details first starting with praise for Hezekiah. And I'm going to read the praise because I want you to understand this is a man who'd done a lot of good things. Second Chronicles chapter 32 beginning in verse 27. And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels. And storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance for God had given him substance very much. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of the Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. Then it presents a condemning indictment against Hezekiah. Verse 31 says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart i'm gonna tell you what i just read god left the decision and hezekiah's hands when it come down to those those babylonian ambassadors god stepped back and said i'm gonna see if it's in his heart to seek me or not I'm going to see if it's in his heart to turn to me or not. The Bible said it was a test uh, to try him. Uh, I'm going to see uh, whether or not uh, he'll seek my face. Uh, I'm going to see uh, whether or not uh, he'll seek my counsel. Uh, let me tell you what's left unsaid there. If Hezekiah had inquired of the Lord, he never would have showed his treasure to the Babylonians. If he had just asked God, he never would have shown them his wealth. And years of heartache and pain suffered by the generations that came behind him would have been stopped if one good man, one righteous man, one man who was blessed of God would simply 
have inquired of the Lord. But because it was not in Hezekiah's heart to seek the Lord's face, because his heart was self-confident and self-assured, God let him make his own choice. And what a costly decision that was. If you'd stand with me, I want the musicians to come. When you're teaching a kid to walk, you, you get alongside of them, you shepherd them, you do everything you can to guide them. But at some point, you have to turn them loose and let them go it alone. You've you got to let them figure it out. You've got to let them figure out how to balance and how to take the steps. And you're always there. Mom and Daddy's always hovering over them and ready to catch them if they fall. But you've got to let them somewhere. You've got to let them just figure this thing out. I'm here to tell you God will do you the same way, just like he did Hezekiah. He's going to put some decisions into your hand that you really need his guidance on. He's not going to stop the enemy from marching into your camp dressed as an ally. He's going to wait and see whether or not you will inquire of the Lord. He'll be there. He'll be ready to step in. He's ready with an answer. He's ready to give you direction. But he's waiting on an invitation. He's waiting to see what's in your heart. Because he wants to know. He wants to know if you'll inquire after his will. Because, honey, he wants to know if he can trust you with bigger things. He wants to know if you'll seek his face. Because he wants to know if he can deliver the promise to you. He wants to know if you'll turn your heart to heaven. And if you do, if you cry out to him, he'll be there in a moment. And he'll direct your path. And he'll order your footsteps. And he'll let you know what is the right thing to do. And you won't have to question. You won't have to wonder. Amen. He'll let you know which door is the right door to walk through. But first you've got to call on him. But listen to this pastor. If you presume to handle it on your own, if you decide you can do this without his help, listen, my friend, he's never going to violate your will. He will never force you to pray. He'll let you deceive yourself in an unholy alliance if you refuse to seek his face and inquire after his counsel. This is what I felt in the Holy Ghost this morning sitting in my living room. Repentance needs to happen all over this house. There's not a single individual under the sound of my voice that doesn't have to stop and say, you know, sometimes I've took matters in my own hands. And sometimes I've not taken the time to consult the Lord God forgive us for our arrogance God forgive us for our self-reliance God forgive us for our self-centeredness God forgive us the casual way we live our lives forgive us O oh Lord for not seeking your face it's time
to build a fresh altar. It's time to turn your face to God and seek His face. Listen, before it's too late, don't make another choice. Don't make another decision. Don't take another step. Don't go anywhere else until you first consult Him. You can't do anything about the water that's already under the bridge, but honey, God's trying to warn you. God's trying to tell you, you need the counsel of God in your life. It may be that if you turn to your altar now, you can stop the tide. It may be that if you seek His face now, you can change what's already been done. But honey, if you don't consult heaven, generations are going to reap the fallout. It's going to affect your kids and their kids and generations behind them. Because we did not seek the counsel of the Lord. I'm calling you to a place of prayer this morning. I'm calling you to a place of self-examination. I'm calling you to a place where you submit yourself to God and say, be honest, Lord. I know my shortcomings. I know my mistakes. I come to submit myself to you, God. I know I may have gotten myself into some things I shouldn't be involved in, Lord. I'm asking you right here, right now to take over and direct my footpath. Tell me where I need to go. I'm not taking another step, God. Unless you give direction. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus.